Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. With Danny, I'm Grant. You are listening to The Fan. The Beltway Blitz coming up in just a few moments. The Nationals, the Capitals, and the Commanders all jammed into one segment. The XFL is back in D.C. this weekend. The home opener for the Defenders on Sunday night. Huge two days of sports outdoors. You got the Saturday Caps game in Raleigh outdoors. And then Sunday in D.C., the Defenders at Audi Field, and we're giving away a four-pack right now to caller number 10. You're getting four tickets, Defenders home opener, D.C. Defenders this Sunday, February 19th at Audi Field at 8 p.m. They take on the Seattle Sea Dragons. Be there all season long. Get your Defenders season tickets today, starting at 20 bucks per game. Buy now at xfl.com slash tickets or visit thefandc.com slash contest. Let's get to our Beltway Blitz. We got sad Nats news to start with, regrettably, and that is the passing of Ted Lerner. Almost 100 years old, I believe I saw 97 years old as he passed. Lerner, of course, responsible for helping the Washington Nationals win the 2019 World Series for a long time as Barry Sverluga joins us, who covered this team in its infancy and has written for the Post since and covered this team better than anybody over the years. I mean, Barry, he was initially, the, the, the before I can even remember, the guy who was running the whole show. More recently, it's been his son, Mark, as he got older and was in less great health. But uh, what is his legacy as the owner of the Nationals? Well, I think it's not really fully formed, oddly, Grant, because, um, you know, as he dies, uh, he was doing something that no one really expected his family to do, which was trying to sell the team. Um, he's a guy who has a reputation as an incredibly patient developer and businessman who buys properties to hold on to them. And as he passes, there's a, you know, a, a pause in the process in which the Lerner family was uh, attempting to, to sell the team. So um, I think we're almost in midstream, even as Mr. Lerner um, has moved on. Uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of a little bit of a complicated legacy in my mind. So Barry, I, I think it's a really astute point about the baseball part of things. I think about this, though, and I want, I want to hear your opinion. When I think of now of a Poland years later, in terms of legacy, I think of Penn Quarter. That was not a thing. That neighborhood didn't exist. It was a place where, I mean, you know this, being around here for so long, police wouldn't pull you over if you ran red lights because if you stopped your car, you know, it was anybody's game. 
Now, similarly, as we're sitting here in Navy Yard in this beautiful studio, I'm looking out the window at, at you know four thousand dollar a month condos, all the restaurants and the life around this around this ballpark used to be a McDonald's, a car wash, and a salt pile. It's just different now, and to me, that's as much a legacy as anything else. I, I agree with you, Danny, and I think um, you know it's also important to point out that um, the ballpark site had been determined before the learners bought um, the team. The team had moved from Montreal. Um, and was coming to Washington before the learners were awarded the rights to, to build it, uh, to buy it for $450 million. Now, Ted Lerner took real estate development very, very seriously. Um, he had a hand and his family had a hand in every single part of the development of Nationals Park. The plans were in place, but they were not going to not make it their, their project. And, I mean, there's a Lerner property right across M Street um, from, uh, from Nats Park that has been there long before lots of the other development that you're talking about has gone in there. So it, absolutely, they had a hand in the revitalization of a network, uh, I mean, a neighborhood that simply didn't really exist prior to the, the um, ball club moving down there. Barry, how involved or interested was Ted here recently post-World Series? And with his passing, what, I, I don't even mean sale-wise, which we can get to in a second, but like what changes from a, an operation standpoint of anything? So as you pointed out, Grant, um, Ted formally handed the control uh, of the team to his son, Mark, in 2018. But my understanding is that there has always been a strongest lone voice in this family, that, that even if formally Mark Lerner had the vote with MLB and, and was the representation at the ownership meetings, that, that Ted Lerner's influence over things was was quite powerful, even if he was stepping back from from day to day operations. Um, so I think the question is is open ended. Um, Ted Lerner was behind or or did endorse the idea of trying to sell the club. Is there a change because he's no longer the strongest voice in the room or, or a voice in the room at all? Uh, I think it's too early to tell. Um, it's hard for me to imagine that that Mark Lerner would go against his father's wishes. But Mark Lerner has also been the Lerner family member who has been the most visible, active, kind of fan-like owner um, in that group. What does this do for the sale process, Barry? Danny, I think the sale was on pause to begin with. I mean, I think we've talked about it before. There's Mm -hmm. There's a court date in March in which we might get some clarity about what past revenues from Masson would be. Um, That might offer some guidelines to what future revenues should be, and that might provide some sort of pathway to a Ted Leonsis knowing exactly what he can expect to make from his, his media rights going forward. But that's some mix of hopeful and speculative. Um, I don't know that there's a real direct line between Ted Lerner's dying and, and the, the pace of the sale or even the outcome of the sale. Um, I, I, unless and until, you know, Mark Lerner or somebody else steps forward and says, you know what, we're going to reinvest ourselves in this. I want to own this thing going forward. My kids want to own this thing going forward. Um, but again, uh, I think a lot of TBDs on that front. Barry's for Lugo, Washington Post, on our Blitz here on Grant and Danny. Pitchers and catchers who are taking part in the WBC are mandated to show up today at camps all around the country. And so kind of unofficially, pitchers and catchers are reporting in Florida and in Arizona. So let me sneak in one quick baseball question. I mean, there is some some young, decent talent on this team. I'm, I'm excited to see Gore, Cavalli, and, and Gray, among others, on the mound. 
Uh, C.J. Abrams, and you got to get more out of K-Bert Ruiz, probably among others, from a hitting standpoint until Hassel graduates. Like, what are the things that you care about or what interests you about this team, which is not going to be particularly good again at the big league level? So I'd start at the top of or what should be the top of the rotation and, and say that if you can get 45 starts out of Cade Cavalli and uh, Mackenzie Gore, um, or you know, 45 to 50 starts out of, out of the two of them, that in some way the season has been a success. Um, they have to perform, uh, but consistent performance is probably not easy to, um, to expect. But you'd like to see those glimpses of, okay, that's who this person can be. And if Josiah Gray can go behind them, improve on what was a season um, that he got hit really hard, um, and, and where you can see glimpses of, he's the clear number three starter uh, in the future, then I think you've got something to look forward to, not just every fifth night when one of those guys starts, but you know, maybe three out of five nights you're, you're interested in, in, um, in what the, who's on the mound and what the storyline goes from there. And then I'd prone to Abrams because um, I loved the defense last year. That was an exciting part of the game. Um, he makes plays that other people just can't make. If he can develop offensively and bring the defense consistently, then then you've got your, you know, your Ian Desmond or your Trey Turner, his own self, the guy you know that's going to be at shortstop going forward. Those would be things that I'd be excited about. Very pleasure as always, buddy. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Let's hit that uh, Capitol Center, please. Buddy Mike Vogel, Washcaps Media, covering the Washington Capitals. Vogue's nice win against Boston. Not as nice game against the struggling San Jose Sharks team where they came in second. Tough on a back-to-back, but really it's about the offense. Uh, not really scoring goals these last couple. Yeah, Danny, it's uh, I guess 9 of 14 games now that they've, they've scored two or fewer. And for, for most of this season, uh, one of the storylines was, well, three is the magic number. If they score three, they win. If they don't, they lose. But they've actually packed three three wins in there, a couple of 2-1 wins and a, and a one nothing win where they did score uh, fewer than three, but but long term, it's it's just not sustainable. They got to start uh, getting goals, and you know it's the big guys that have been mostly quiet too. Um, Kuznetsov had a goal in the uh, overtime uh, of the Columbus game, the last game before the break. But Ovechkin's been a little quiet here. Oshie's been a little quiet here. Um, obviously, Wilson's been out. They've gotten some production from Backstrom recently, but they've been relying on guys like Hathaway and. Um, Van Riemsdyk and, you know, so some of those, they, they've been getting secondary scoring, uh, but not enough, not enough primary scoring. And, you know, as for the weekend, I think it's, it was kind of the season in a microcosm, you know, where you, you see them, them go out and play a, a really strong 60 minute uh, game. And then the next one, they just looked like they were stuck in the mud for, you know, pretty much entirely the afternoon. And there were certainly some circumstances there where, um, you know, the Boston game was two teams, who had been parked on a beach or wherever for 10 days, and they were both coming coming off the break at the same time. So it was a little sloppy early, and teams kind of found their way. But the San Jose game, you're, you're coming back and you're playing 22 hours later, which is the, the minimum amount of time you have to have between games mandated by the CBA. But San Jose had already come off of their break, and they had played two games, and they were, you know, there were, I think, 28 teams in action on Saturday, San Jose was not one of them. They didn't play Friday either. So that's one of those schedule losses that you can kind of look at in July when the schedule comes out and look and say, you know what, that that looks – it's just one of those things where 
two or three times a year, every team is going to have that disparity, that really gross disparity in, in the amount of rest that one team has over another. And I, I kind of knew going into yesterday that that game was going to be a difficult one for the Caps to win from where they were coming from, but also San Jose finishing up an eight-game run on the road. Um, and, and yesterday was the difference for them in going home 500 or under 500. So, um, you know, you, you got to see some consistency, though, going forward here, six, seven games between now and the, uh, the trade deadline. And, and I think management is still trying to figure out which way, which way to flip the coin come uh, March 3rd trade deadline. Vogues, I know hockey treats injuries like, uh, you know, information at Camp David or something. So I don't expect you to either know or be able to tell us when guys are coming back. But can you give us like a rough timeline of, I feel like Dowd's days, whereas Carly might be weeks. Like, what do we know about getting some reinforcements back here? Yeah, yeah, both, uh, Grant, both Dowd and Wilson have been skating on their own a little bit. They haven't been uh, practicing with the, the, the larger group yet. Um Today was an off day. Maybe we'll see those guys tomorrow. Uh, I would expect just just from just from the way that they've been trending, I would tend to think that both of those guys, Dowd and Wilson, would be back in game action between now and the deadline. I'm not exactly sure when. Like I said, could be as soon as as maybe this week, later this week, or early next. But uh, just the way they're trending and the in the the way they're they're um, you know how, based on how and when we're seeing them, I'm thinking that that they'll they'll be back before that. Carlson's a different story. He's supposed to see a doctor later this month, and and be evaluated once again. And my understanding is that if if everything goes well, if that's like a grand slam evaluation, everything's perfect, and he can start towards start on the road towards returning, you're still looking at at least a month. And there's only about a month and a half left in the season at that point. So he, to me, is probably a guy you're looking for starting the playoffs most optimistically. And and even then, you know, I think there's some there's certainly some gray area depending on what we hear uh, at the end of February when he sees the doctor next. Folks, thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Thanks, guys. Good talking to you. You too, you as too. well. Hit that commander sounder, please. Everybody, Matt Paris, Washington Times covers those commanders. That's why it's talking about the commanders on the Beltway Blitz. Who's going to be the offensive coordinator? Who do they have interviews lined up with, Matt? Uh, beats me, but, you know, today's development was that they're bringing in uh, Greg Roman for an interview. That's a name that makes sense. The former coordinator in Baltimore who likes to deploy a run-heavy game plan that fits with Rivera. But I think the guy to watch here is still Eric Bieniemy. uh, he get, got a lot of praise after last night's Super Bowl win with the Chiefs. It seems like he wants an opportunity to go out of, on his own and call plays. And if you shine with Washington, I think you're going to be in a pretty good position. So it, it's a risk from his standpoint, but he has ties to Rivera. And, uh, yeah, they want to bring him in later in the week. It juxtapose like, what they're thinking or maybe the way forward with those two guys. Because Biennemi and Roman are really not – that similar in how they kind of view moving the football. That's what I'm curious about. You think you have a philosophy, then you put a list of guys together. Clearly, that's not the order they went in. Right, yeah, and Roman here has emerged kind of later in the process. You know, this is a guy who's really been out there for the past month that, that they wanted to bring him in 
um, they could have done so. I kind of wonder if it is insurance or taking another look in case the enemy has options elsewhere. Uh, I know we've mentioned Baltimore the last time we kind of talked. Uh, the Ravens are interested in the enemy as well. So if he bails on them and goes for Baltimore, then maybe Roman is a backup option. But, you know, like you said, they, they do have pretty different styles. I'm wondering big picture. I don't necessarily blame Sean Payton. I've seen some people uh, blame Sean Payton for kind of referencing some people reached out to him, potential owners of the of the of the team if it was the change hands about him coaching, et cetera. Obviously, kind of awkward for Ron Rivera and company. But what did you make of all that? Yeah, it is really weird. I mean, I think it's great that he was honest. I mean, I took that as it didn't necessarily mean. Sean Payton was interested. I know he was complimentary of the franchise, but it sounded like Sean Payton wanted to get back into coaching now. He didn't want to wait for a, a, a sale to come together. Um, and, you know, the sale still hasn't been finalized and he went to Denver. So, um, it, yeah, it really put Rivera in an awkward position. You don't really see coaches do that um, to one another, but it was revealing to say the least. Matt Paris, Washington Times, covers the Commanders with us. Watching the Super Bowl yesterday, from a Commanders perspective, what kind of takeaways did you have? You know, or what are the areas where you'd say they got the most work ahead of them? Yeah, I was kind of focused on Kansas City's offensive line. They did such a great job of um, protecting Patrick Mahomes. And you think about that Super Bowl a few years ago against Tampa and how much of a mess their line was now. It took a couple of years. They landed a star tackle in Orlando Brown. They committed significant resources uh, to fixing it, but you know it, they did manage to patch it up, and, and that's something I think maybe Washington needs to study as they go about this offseason trying to fix their offensive line, seeing if there's anything that they can replicate. Matt, thank you as always, buddy. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Yeah, dude. Matt Paris on GND here on 106.7 The Fan. Commanders, Eric Bieniemy, Greg Roman, the offensive coordinating options. Which one would make more sense to you? And do you have a preference of the two? Pretty odd that those are the two guys that they are debating between this week, apparently. They're very, very different in how they see offense. They're listening to the fan. Super Bowl 57 came and went last night. It was a blast. We'll get back into the game at 5 o'clock. Where does it rank among some of the recent Super Bowls and some of your favorite Super Bowls that you've watched? It was immensely entertaining. In the meantime, though, we got an opportunity, Danny, to discuss the OC job here in Washington. And a lot of people have been very upset with how long it's taking to hire a coordinator. I think Ron Rivera's been dragging his feet, that this process should have played out faster. My point all along was... They're going to interview Eric Bieniemy. Let's wait for that because he's a good candidate. I didn't think they were going to interview Greg Roman because we haven't heard his name come up. Isn't, that, isn't this strange how that part of it's gone? Very odd. I don't know if that means they're not convinced they can land Bieniemy, so they're kind of preparing for uh, that possibility, or if it just means that Roman early on, maybe he was vacationing. Maybe he was out of the country. Yeah. Maybe he told teams, I'm not going to talk to anybody for 10 days. Like We have no idea. But Greg Roman, if you're trying to run the football, is the best run designer Statistically speaking, the most successful run-first offensive coordinator in the NFL over the last several years. They can't stand him in Baltimore. I'm not convinced 
that uh, he's the reason why the Ravens struggled to attract wide receivers. I know that's been a speculation, why they couldn't throw the ball. I know that if you're designing offense to run the football and you want your quarterback to be a part of that running game and use the mobility and the creativity with the feet that a guy like Sam Howell might have, Greg Roman should be a candidate. I wouldn't want to be a run-first team. I I don't believe they should be. I'm not saying that I would hire Greg Roman if I got to hire anyone in the league, but I'm working back from what I think they want to be, what they've acknowledged publicly they're hoping to be, the fact that they love running the ball. And I think with all those things said, Greg Roman would make a lot of sense and be a great hire. I also know, having just watched the Super Bowl and the well-coached Chiefs offense and the adjustments they made again at halftime, that while Reed gets a ton of the credit, and he should, Biennemi is also in the room. Like, Biennemi is watching and overseeing, if nothing else. Yeah, and you would put him over last night immediately, right? He should be able to have had some of that rub off on him. Let's say he's not that involved and he's just standing in the room. You've been in the room long enough with Andy Reid to bring over some of Andy Reid's ideas. That in and of itself, which I think is disrespectful to act like he provides or adds nothing. But worst case scenario, that in and of itself would make him an interesting at worst and a excellent at best hire for Washington. Yeah, it's not just, he's not just in there breathing the oxygen. You know what I mean? Like I bet she's doing something. I mean the way the way I think about it, I actually said this last night right, talking uh, with a couple of buddies at, at the our little watch party. My wife is excellent at cleaning things. She knows exactly what to do, exactly what spray, exactly what text. Is this a dab? Is this a pat? Is this real alpaca? You blot it. I don't know very much at all. $25,000 alpaca. I'm in the room when she does it. I observe her do it. She's excellent. I'm very mediocre. I'm better than my kids. See what I'm saying? Like, if I'm the adult there, I'm going to do it. I'm replicating what she did to the best of my ability. She'll come in later and, of course, undo the mess that I made subsequently. But you see the point. That's what, at a minimum, worst case, and I think even that's disrespectful to Derek Bianami. The guy's got acumen. The guy's got sharps. The guy has, he's been in the room and helped coordinate some excellent offenses. I would stay as far away from Greg Roman as humanly possible. I just have no interest. That said, he's had success in this league. The, the offenses have not been... Nothing but archaic, you know, wishbone, Nebraska, uh, early 90s run offenses. They've been up there in terms of points. They've been up there in terms of yardage and success. I'd argue it helps to have a, you know, a uh, an MVP candidate rushing for 1,100 yards and double-digit touchdowns for some of those things or not have the league seen any of it when you're talking about Kaepernick and company in 2012 and, co- and, and so on. But to me, Eric Bannemi would be a coup. It would be an awesome, awesome thing. And just in terms of the rep uh, of this organization, he's been one of the it guys in NFL circles for some time. It hasn't worked out as a head coach, but if you get Eric Bieniemy to leave the nest of Kansas City and come to a place that right now is simply not cool at all, we've seen the evidence. D.C. is not a destination. Certainly isn't for basketball. Hasn't been forever, no matter what people have tried to do. This is kind of like what happened with Jason Worth in 2011, thinking of the Nationals. They were not a destination. This was a you. This is where you go to collect one bet, one last paycheck uh, to then be put out to pasture. When Jason Worth signed, coming off of you know World Championships, this kind of put DC on the map as a legit destination. That's how you get a Max Scherzer a couple years later. It sort of set the table. Eric Bieniemy coming here when everybody wants to talk to Eric Bieniemy would be amazing. For this organization. I really believe that in terms of enhancing its cool factor, making it a, a place that people want to go to, and so on and so forth. I think it would do wonders for Ron Rivera in this regime as well. Then you get to the bona fides and acumen as, a, uh, as an offensive mind. It would be, to me, the no-brainer of all no-brainers if they could pull it off. What I'm confused about, I guess, a little bit is 
how the enemy would be a really good fit for what Washington envisions for its offense. That's the only thing I can't really make good sense of. And what I mean by that is I don't think they really want to run the ball at a two-to-one clip. I think that that was a comment that Martin Mayhew made, not in jest. I think it was blown out of proportion. He said that they loved the way the final game of the season went when they were able to run the ball two-to-one. Every team would love to run the ball two-to-one if it meant they blew a team out. I kind of think that's what Mayhew was saying while suggesting we want to be a run-first team. And we know, based on the winning streaks the last two years and kind of what they've looked like at their best and the way that Rivera speaks, kind of what he pushes as a uh, philosophy, they do want to be a a run-oriented team. Physical, run in defense, like old-school kind of stuff. That's all true. I don't think they want to be two to one. I saw someone bring that up again today in the media that said, you know, they want to be a two to one running team. That's not a real thing. I, I think that's like an easy shot to take based on a press conference moment. But what they do want to do is be run first. That's fair, right? Yes. I think they'd like they'd prefer to be super balanced, close to 50-50, which in and of itself today is outrageous in my opinion. And they would they would love to run to set up the pass, which I think you should do the opposite. I point again, though, to the Chiefs. Kansas City, dating back to 2018. So over five seasons of football, far and away, the early down pass frequency is number one in the NFL. Other teams that are up there are Buffalo and Tampa Bay and Cincinnati and the L.A. Rams. That's the top five. They've all either won a Super Bowl, played in a Super Bowl, or been in a conference championship game. It's a weird coincidence. Very, very odd. The bottom of the list is the Tennessee Titans. Now, they've been a one seed in the AFC. They haven't won a title. Washington. San Francisco's been very, very competitive, obviously. But it's a lot of teams like Detroit and Denver and Jacksonville and the Jets and the Patriots, who over the last four or so years haven't been that good. So Tennessee's made a couple runs. I would say if you have Derrick Henry, that's a pretty smart thing to do is to feature Derrick Henry. Correct. Right? Reasonable. It's based on your situation. But I just can't quite come to grips with how the enemy who believes in throwing on first down and throwing to set up the run is the right fit for Ron Rivera. I get why you'd want to hire him, and they should. I hope I'm making sense when I say the enemy would be an outstanding hire. The enemy is what they probably should be wanting to do. I'm just surprised, based on what they're saying, if their action is then to go get the enemy. Because they're, it's almost to me like saying, I want to be really, really healthy. I'm going to start eating better. And then I, I go stop on my way home and get a burger and fries, fast food, and I bring it home and eat it. Like What I'm doing and what I'm saying are two different things. I think Roman actually is really on brand. The other guys that they've interviewed for the most part, whether that's Zampezi or that's Shermer, they're really on brand. The enemy one, it just doesn't match for me. And it is probably why, honestly, because I don't love the way they, they talk about offense, why it would be my favorite hire. I'm not married to it because I'm not sure it would work. If he comes here and Rivera and whoever else are butting heads with him, that's a terrible situation. Think about, like, Mike Zimmer. Do you mm-hmm. remember when he was the head coach of the Vikings? Yeah. Zimmer, like Rivera, was a defensive-minded head coach that wanted to be a run-first team. And he went and hired, I can't remember the name of the guy, I'll look it up. But he was the play caller for the Eagles or the offensive coordinator when they last won the Super Bowl. He was like this up-and-coming guy. They got fired by the Vikings, and he's kind of out now. There's some baggage with him. But immediately blew him out after a few weeks. 
he he went and got uh, after that that they uh, elevated the current coach of the Browns, Kevin Stefanski, and, and constantly, you know, he was in his office supposedly the way the stories go, getting reamed out for throwing it too much, right? If Ron's bringing in Eric Bieniemy and not letting him be Eric Bieniemy, don't bother. If you're bringing him in here to to bring his ideas but conform to the way you do it, hire someone else. And that's where I'm a little bit confused. So I I, I think of Brian Billick, who was the offensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings at the time when they set the record for points, right? With that Randy Moss, Chris Carter, Dante Culpepper, Robert Smith, those incredible offenses. He becomes the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens. So they thought they were getting this prolific offensive mind that was going to be a juggernaut on offense. And what did they have? The greatest defense ever assembled with the, the bullies of Baltimore and, you know, a 2,000-yard rusher and, you know, Jags at best at quarterback. To me, a good coach works with what he's got. If I have Pat Mahomes, I'm going to feature Pat Mahomes. If I've got a, 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 cat, a rotating cast of 185-pound running backs from Clyde Edwards, E. Lair, and Jarek McKinnon and a bunch of, you know, Jags in that regard, I'll sort of feature it that way. If you've got different personnel, I think you might cater to them differently. So there's, there's a chance that there's a hybrid there. There's a good, potential good marriage. I don't know that Eric Bieniemy, a former running back in his own right, would hate running the ball here with Brian Robinson and, uh, and Antonio Gibson. I'm with you in the sense that I go, well, where's our advantage? It's not in the third round running backs, with all due respect to those guys who I like just fine. It's in our wide receivers that the other guy can't stop. We got three guys that are better than almost everybody they're going up against on a weekly basis. Let's figure out how to get those guys a whole mess of touches, and we'll deal with the rest later. That's why I'd be more in favor of, of somebody with more modern thinking. But you're right. If it's going to be a mess, then I don't know. But maybe if you're Ron Rivera going, I really need this to work, and this is the best PR thing I could do is to get the hell out of this guy's way. He becomes a head coach. I'm thought of as a genius who's super flexible. DC becomes a cool destination. I extend my own life here. I'm all in. But you're right. If it's going to be a hot mess where every time they throw a forward pass, Ron's going, I need to talk to you after the game. I really do. Come into my office. I need you to run the ball. Really, You, you got you to gotta run it earlier and often and more times, okay? If we're doing that, no thanks. It was suggested to me that there was times during this past season where Scott Turner would get called into the principal's office. <laughs> You know, because they weren't running the football enough early in the season, or you know, essentially that they needed to get back to the winning streak from a year ago. And to Rivero or whoever's credit, I suppose they did win more football games when they started running it more with Taylor Heineke at quarterback. Who would you prefer as your coordinator, and what would you make of a enemy hire? We can ask that question next on the MGM National Harbor Listener Lines at eight hundred six three six one zero six seven. We should also dive into this. Would Bienemy want this gig? I, I'm not quite sure why he would prefer this one, but maybe we could try to make that case on Grant and Danny here on The Fan. With Danny, I'm Grant. This is The Fan, Super Bowl 57 to Kansas City, Philadelphia Eagles. Go back to Philly, tail tucked between their legs. Good news for them is they'll be back. Maybe not in the Super Bowl right away. They're not away, going anywhere. They're really good. They're really young. And they got a quarterback on a rookie deal, second-round money, who's still going to be outside of the top 30 in how much he makes next season. And Jalen Hurts, who played like a star and probably deserved to win a ring last night. But we're talking about the other side of the Super Bowl matchup and the offensive coordinator of the Chiefs, Eric Bieniemy. 
So Bieniemy wants to be a head coach in the NFL. He has interviewed, this is not an exaggeration, with over half of the teams in the NFL, and he hasn't gotten a job, which in and of itself to me is a little bit of a, a concern might not be the right word, but a curiosity. Like, why is that? How is that? How many interviews do you do before you don't get a job before I start wondering what isn't working here? But the results and the proof in the pudding offensively for Kansas City scream that he should have a job. And for people that say, well, he doesn't call the place, Andy Reid calls the place. Okay, neither did Matt Nagy. He got a job pretty quickly. Neither did Doug Peterson. He got a job pretty quickly. It, it's the same role for, for Biennemi as those two guys. And he hasn't been able to, to get the, the head coaching job. So he is considering... And after last year, the way it was told to me was Reed tried to get him or at least talk to him about the possibility of going and taking another job to help him out. Uh, Biennemi decided to stay put. After this second Super Bowl, maybe now he walks and and he goes somewhere where he can call plays and, and run an entire offensive room. And I think he should go to a place where there is a defensive-minded head coach. Washington's a great example. Mm-hmm. Baltimore is comparable, though. That's a special teams coordinating head coach in Harbaugh. Uh, Harbaugh's an Andy Reid guy, just like Ron Rivera's an Andy Reid guy, both from his tree. Ravens have Lamar Jackson. If they think they'll still have Lamar Jackson in week one, that's a better job than this one. If Lamar Jackson might not be there, and when he interviews with the Ravens, they say, hey, we're not really sure, we might trade him, then I'm not sure that the Ravens' job's better than this one. I would say Washington probably is a better gig. But how would you feel about the enemy coming to D.C., and is this a place where he would want to come? Carlos, Alexandria, what's up? Hey, a great topic again, guys. Um, you know, the thing that, that interests me is not from the perspective of Washington, but from the perspective of Biennemi and why he would want to come here. And consider this scenario. You know, Rivera has got the dual roles and whatever. And if he does go to a place like this, they're going to have to dress it up for him and make it look like it's something more than a lateral move from one offensive coordinator to on a very good team to a team in a mess. So the only reason I think that he would be considered here and would be presented here would be to be sort of the coach in waiting uh, after this uh, after Rivera leaves. So Rivera's pitch to him might be something like, "Hey, come and get this offense and, uh, going here." And you know, I'm I'm getting sick in my mid 60s now, and I'm ready to retire out of the coaching role and just sort of be a coach in waiting for a year or two. So I've heard a few people throw and appreciate the call as always throw that out there as if to say that's how it would make the most sense for Benjamin to come here. So I'll put some cold water on that. If you're talking about a regime change in terms of ownership, there's no coach in waiting. There's no apprenticeship that's available where Ron Rivera has juice and could say, this will be the guy that I'm deputizing to take over for me. New owner comes in and says, that's nice many games under 500 coach with all the power. Here's the door. Give me your key card. Never come back. I don't care about your wishes, right? So I would pour cold water on that part of it. To me, and I just got a text from a buddy who was like, why would BNME come here? This is one of those eyes wide open, everybody's benefiting from something, okay? Washington gets a good offensive coordinator. Duh, that's the end of that one. For Biennemi, this is a, to your point about a defensive-minded head coach in, in Rivera, Eric Biennemi would run the entire offensive show. Not be a passenger, not be part of it, not defer to anybody else. It would be his side of the building. When the they whole, do well, he gets all the credit. And he gets all the credit, exactly. You're going to take an offense that has been middling at best in the mid-20s or worse in every other ranking at worst. You make them middle of the pack, you are now seen as the, as the savior, as a hero. You've proven you can run your own room. All the other folks that have interviewed him, whether it's fair or not, that's the perception is that he hasn't been able to. Well, now he did that. So he gets his one-year apprenticeship for that, and then he gets out. 
Here's a quote from Andy Reid. I'm not sure if it was from last night or this morning, but it was tweeted this morning. Uh, this is Andy Reid on potential staff changes. Listen, Eric Bieniemy has been tremendous for us. I think he's been tremendous for the NFL. I'm hoping he's having an opportunity to go somewhere and to do his thing where he can run the show and be Eric Bieniemy. I mean, that is a public admittance yep. by Reid of what I was told. Uh, again, started last year with him having a come-to-Jesus conversation with Bieniemy, where it became pretty clear to Andy Reid, for you to get this head coaching job, you're going to have to leave here. Jared Gaithersburg, what's up? Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, I appreciate it. So, one of my... I think I heard it from Mike Loxley first, was that success leaves clues. And I love that. I think it's it's borderline dumb when you hire someone who's come from such a poor organization like we have done the last count how many years. you got to think if the enemy comes in, he's seen so much success in the Chiefs, and you got to think he's going to be sort of in charge of hiring the people under him. They're going to come from successful situations. So the more people you have that have come from successful situations, the more clues that it leaves, and it's sort of bound to hopefully leave having success. So it's my sous chef corollary, mm -hmm. honestly. I say this all the time. If I ran a restaurant, I'm going to the best restaurants in my town, and I'm hiring the people who help the top dogs, and I'm, I'm appointing them as my top dog. You're the sous chef? You're now my chef. No, you're the person that's the assistant GM. You're now my GM. I love the way you do business. Do what you do there here. I'm trying to copy that. I want to run a radio station that competes with the, the number one station in town, and I can't get the PD because the you know he's not going to go for the lateral move. I'll go with the assistant PD. Whatever that secret sauce is that you got working, that's what I want. And I really believe that's how you should hire, and it's why I'm amazed that the enemy hasn't gotten a job. Indeed. I mean, it, sometimes it, it, it is incredible. And to interview as many times as he has to not gotten a job is unheard of. It, it's never happened. It is, in principle, the normal thing. 100% I'm on board with it. Occasionally it blows up. Occasionally it's Matt Patricia or it's part of the Bill Belichick coaching tree that, that has failed. But generally speaking, that's the way to go. You find someone successful and you shake the tree and you say, bring me what you do, you guys just finished There's doing. There's no foolproof way to do it. Of course not. You know what I mean? Yeah. There is no 100% lock when it's like drafting a player when you hire a coach. But th that practice is, is pretty trial tested. Smartest way to do it. Jay Gruden joins us next. We'll break down the Super Bowl with him. We'll get his thoughts on Eric Bieniemy, Greg Roman, among other coordinating candidates for the Commanders as well. Want to see what he thought about the game last night on Grant and Danny in just a moment. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law 
Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 